All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn back. We're going to continue with a reason to dream. As we look at the life of this dreamer named Joseph, let's stand as we turn to Genesis 41. Genesis 41, I want to use a phrase in that song that we've been singing that has ministered to so many of you, and some of you have shared as much, but his promise stands, and as a result of the fact that his promise, or as the song says, his promise still stands, then your dream that's based on what we started with in this process, dreaming kingdom dreams according to the will and for the glory of God, your dream still lives. Found your place there. 41, chapter 41 of Genesis, two years later. And we'll talk about that, how that two years must have been in a moment. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began grazing among the reeds. After them, seven other cows. All of a sudden, the dream becomes a nightmare, as we've learned can happen in this book. These sickly and thin cows came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows, and Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, full and good, came on one stalk. It's like ears of corn here. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven full and good ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. Another dream that had become like a nightmare. When morning came, how do we know it was like a nightmare? He was troubled, verse 8 says, so he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I I think that we could almost insert an, oh yeah, right here. Today, I remember, it's about time, my faults. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in custody of the captain of the guard. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Two years later, right? Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand that because your promise does still stand, our dream still lives, and we can totally put our trust in you. We sang this morning, trust and obey, but Lord, help us to live it with full trust in you and obedience to your call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I remember hearing the story years ago of a young man who wanted to prove that he had what it took to be a hero to all of his friends and family, and he decided he was going to join the paratroopers. So he, he enlisted and was sent down to Fort Benning to prepare to be a paratrooper, and, and uh, when it was finally time to take his first jump, he got ready to jump out of the plane. He was just all of a sudden not trusting anybody anymore, and especially he had, he had problems trusting those who had authority in his life, and the... the uh, His commanding officer there on the plane was explaining, you know, here's how high we are, and you can trust me, 
and, and when it's time to jump, I want you to trust me. You need to jump. You're gonna, I'm going to count down, and when I count down and I get to one, you're going to jump. And when you jump, as you're falling through the air, you're going to count to 10, and once you get to 10, you're going to reach your right hand over the left shoulder, and you're going to pull the rip cord, and the parachute's going to open. But if it doesn't, and he was thinking to himself, see there, what do you mean, if it doesn't? He said, then you're going to reach your left hand over the right, and you're going to pull the emergency chute, and when you get down to the bottom, there's going to be some trucks waiting on you. To, uh, when you get down to the ground, there's going to be some trucks to take you back to the base. And so it came his turn. He was a little bit hesitant, but after being booted out of the plane, he began to count to 10, and he reached his right arm over, and he pulled the rip cord, and nothing happened. And he's thinking, I knew it, I knew it. He reaches over, he grabs the, the emergency chute, he pulls, and nothing happens. And somebody heard it that had jumped before him as he flew past him. He said, uh-huh, and I bet those trucks aren't going to be down there either. Sometimes we feel like life teaches us not to trust people that are in charge. We need to come to a place in our life where we need to trust that when others may not know what they're talking about, God does. God is in charge. He is still sovereign. He is a providential God. Joseph, remember, he had been faithful, and he had reached out when he couldn't look up, and he thought, man, at least I've done something to, to put a bug in the ear of this cupbearer so that, that maybe, just maybe, I'll be out of here soon. Two years had passed. Two years, and he had been forgotten about by the cupbearer. But listen, when those people that you thought you could depend on forget about you, God hasn't forgotten about you. God knows where you are, he knows what you're going through, and he is still with you. He knows that you're in need of help. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, we've looked at already, but it says, I waited patiently on the Lord, and he heard my cry, he inclined unto me, he, he lifted me up out of a horrible pit, he lifted me up out of that miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. He put a song in my mouth and a praise unto our God. He said, I waited patiently on the Lord. We saw just a moment ago in the book of Isaiah that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Where will you put your trust when your dreams start to fade? When you feel like people have forgotten about you? If his promise still stands, then your dream still lives. God hasn't quit working even when it looks like everything around you and everybody around you has quit on you. John 5 and chapter 17 says, My Father, Jesus speaking, is always at work. God is always working. God is always up to something. And you can trust that he knows where you are and his timing will be perfect. Now, when we look at this passage, we're going to learn a couple of things this morning that I want you to remember, that when your dream starts to fade, that, that while his promise still stands and, and you want your dream to live in the midst of that, remember a couple of things. First of all, if you don't remember this first one, you'll make some bad choices in life. So remember the insufficient ways of this world, the insufficient ways of this world. Pharaoh kind of illustrates for us here how to make the wrong choice at first. And many of us also have to learn the hard way when we depend on the ways of this world. We just read in those first eight verses a moment ago that God would eventually get somebody's attention 
that would lead to Joseph being rescued, right? But what did Pharaoh do before he called on Joseph? When, when morning came in verse 8 and he was troubled, he called and, and summoned the magicians of Egypt. The phonies, if you will. The ones who, who, who might have had some kind of demonic element to their mystical powers, but they were certainly not of God. He called for the wisdom, the wise men of Egypt. And it says that none of them could interpret the dream. None of them had the ability to help Pharaoh out with these problems. The false gods of Egypt had no answers. Whether he was to call upon Horus or Isis, or and when I say Isis, I'm not talking about the modern-day Isis, but the gods of Egypt and, and the sun god and, and, and all that it represents, all of the wisdom they thought was available. There were no answers. The gods of this world seem powerful until you need real answers. These gods would have been the gods of art, the gods of magic, the gods of agriculture, the gods of music. But they would have no answers for Pharaoh. Like the prophets of Baal. Remember in 1 Kings where Elijah says, okay, we'll have a little contest. Let the prophets of Baal cry out to Baal. And they begin to cry out. They begin to cut themselves. And Elijah just kind of mocked them and said, maybe your God, you know, in, in the Hebrew, it, it literally is saying, maybe your God is occupied, meaning he's relieving himself. He's going to the bathroom. He can't answer you. But then Elijah called on the one true and living God who was able to answer by fire. God has a way of exposing the inability of the fake gods that we call on in this world. We, we start looking for answers when our dreams fade. When, when life has problems and, and we begin to look here and there, we, we sometimes go to the wisdom of this world. We go to the ways of this world and we say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the world's way because I'm desperate. And I need answers. And it would seem like those who have answers, when you really dig deep enough, they're the same shape you're in. They're looking for answers too. Often, they're in worse shape than you because they don't know the God that you know. And you're looking for answers from people who have nothing to offer whatsoever. It was an interesting phenomenon. I know it's been uh, going around like crazy recently, but the whole thing with the, the fake accounts on Facebook, and I have to, I have to be careful that when I, when I see you know the the words I've been hacked on Facebook that I that I don't try to correct all of them because you could spend all day doing that. But the the truth of the matter is, very few people actually get hacked on Facebook. Did you realize that? I mean, not that it couldn't happen. I guess it could. I was speaking to Andrew, who's more of an expert on that than me, but. But and I shouldn't tell you this because there's somebody in here probably just with a little bit of mischief in them, uh, maybe in middle school or high school or something, and you might go and try this. So I probably shouldn't. I'll tell you anyway because if you're mischief, if you're mischievous and you're a teenager, you already know how to do this anyway. But do you realize in 30 seconds I could create an account with your name and your picture on it without hacking your account? All I'd have to do is either save your picture, right-click on it, whatever. I've got your picture saved on my computer. I create a Facebook account. I use your name and your picture. I didn't hack your account. I don't have information that I might pretend to have, no matter how many chain email, uh, messages I send out. 
I didn't hack your account. I just made a, a, a phony account with your name. Why would somebody do that, by the way? Why, why would somebody want to create a fake account? And, and, and you can do it in a matter of seconds, right? I mean, I could save your picture, use your name, create an account, and then you tell everybody I've been hacked, you hadn't been hacked, somebody created a fake account using your picture and your name. Why would somebody do that? Because later they can send you a message or a, a message to one of your friends on Facebook, and they think it's coming from you asking for more specific information so that they can hack an account that might be more important than your Facebook account, like your bank account, um, like a credit card account, or some other account, because they were pretending to be you to get information from one of your friends that might give them passwords or something like that. And, and so the truth of the matter is, th- those who have used phony Facebook pages like this, who have set one up to look like you, they're, they weren't, they're not doing that because they have information that you think they got into. The reason they're doing that is because they don't have information. The, the reason they do that is because they're looking for information that might be of some value to them later on. And so many times we look at the world and we, we think, man, they've got some information. They, they, they've got some inside scoop. They've got something. And we need to realize they're just a bunch of fake accounts. It's just a, they're just a bunch of phony Folks, religions, you name it out there, and and we think they've got information that they don't have. What they're doing is they're looking for answers. They're looking for information. What are we talking about? What are the gods of this age that want to bring terror and brokenness and fear into your life? It could be the field of academia. Nothing wrong with education. I am all for it. But yesterday I was having a conversation with Barry, and we were talking about There are so many people with knowledge, but they don't have wisdom because wisdom can only come from God. And so we can worship academia, philosophy, which is interesting because sin and violence and evil only seems to grow worse. Philosophy just gives us maybe a therapist who can tell us why it's happening. Politics. We've already learned we we can't look for our answer. And listen, I see so many Christians. Now, I am all for taking a stand for righteousness. And and I'm going to vote pro-life. And and I'm going to vote freedom of religion. I'm going to stand on those principles without apology. But my joy is not in whether or not the right person is in office. Because the right person is in charge, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will all answer to him. I believe if in, in this, this hearing with Judge Kavanaugh, if there's anything that came out that I thought was very honest and very telling was when Lindsey Graham said, if you came looking for a fair process, you came to the wrong town at the wrong time. I thought that was pretty clear no matter which party you're in. And and I think today, if we think our answers are in Washington, D.C., we're looking at the wrong town at the wrong time. Our answers come from the God of heaven, not the ways of this world. Sometimes we look to Hollywood. See, when we look at these gods of Egypt, sometimes they were gods of, of, of entertaining value. And they could really put on a show as they did all the way back when Moses arrived on the scene in Egypt to lead God's people out. Before those times, Joseph also knew they could put on a show. And today we can worship the gods of entertainment. We can spend more time 
watching movies on our phones and on our computers and listening to the voices of Hollywood, I don't understand for the life of me why somebody thinks that because they have a gift of acting that all of a sudden they're an expert on the things of religion and philosophy. But it's amazing how the world will turn their attention because someone has a gift, the ability to act, that they must be wise in the areas of religion and philosophy. And they give credence to what Hollywood has to say when they have bought so many of the lies of the enemy. What about religion? Oh, wait a minute, you talking about us? Listen, there's a difference between religion and a relationship. Now, there are right qualities of religion that are involved in, in every type of church setting, if you will, but by definition, religion is man's attempt to reach God, and Christianity is God's attempt to reach man, God who came to seek and save the lost and revealed himself to us. And if all you get is religion and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're missing out. For others, it's abuse, maybe escaping through drugs or alcohol or pornography, living phony lives, living the fantasies of this world instead of living for a dream that is kingdom and Christ-centered. So you need to understand, when we have a couple of choices, when the dreams begin to fade, if you choose the ways of the world, you will be fishing in a dry lake. You will be trying to find water in a dry well. There's nothing this world has to offer. But then we see from the life of Joseph, not the ways of this world, but the incomparable wisdom of God. I want to choose the incomparable wisdom of God. We see God's wisdom so many ways in the life of Joseph. When, when you watch what happens just in this chapter, you're like, man, that's my immortal, immortal invisible, only wise God. Look at, look at the way Joseph was presented to Pharaoh. We see God's wisdom and how he's presented beginning in verse 9. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I remember my faults. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants. Remember, you put us under the custody of the captain of the guard. The baker and I, we had dreams, verse 11. Each one kind of had its own meaning. But there was a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards. Joseph, he was there with us. He told us our dreams. He interpreted the dreams for us. It turns out, he was right. Everything happened just the way he said it would. I restored to my position. The other man, the baker, was hanged. In God's timing, he presented this name, Joseph, to Pharaoh. And in God's timing, he will present you to the people, to the places, to the circumstances, to the situations that will place you in your greatest position of influence for his glory. You see God's wisdom in the way that he was presented to Pharaoh. You see God's wisdom in the way that Joseph was proven to Pharaoh. So pray, Pharaoh is going to tell his dream here. So Pharaoh looks at after he sends for Joseph, he says to Joseph in verse 15, I've had a dream. No one seems to be able to interpret it. 
but I've heard it said that you can hear and, a, a dream and interpret it. And I'm not able to, Joseph answered. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So immediately Joseph is not trying to say, listen, I've got this Messiah complex and I'm really all that. I don't know what you're going to do without me, Pharaoh. He doesn't come across that way. With humility, he says, there's a true and a living God. He can give you the answers that you're looking for. So Pharaoh explains the dream to Joseph. And so when you look over how God begins to prove himself, Pharaoh explains what he had already dreamed that we read a moment ago about the, about the uh, ugly cows that are eating the healthy cows, the thin skeletal clouds. It's like the worst Halloween nightmare he could imagine. And it's uh, it, probably gory details of the dream he's, he's describing. And, and then with the grain or the corn that does the same thing, the, the, that which is weak eats that which is not. And when you get to verse 25, I, I'm thinking as Joseph hears this, now, forgive me for reading between the lines just a little bit, but I'm thinking as Joseph hears all this, that he's thinking to himself, really? This is a no-brainer. Because when you read it, you're kind of like, yeah, it sounds like seven years of uh, prosperity and then seven years of famine. And, and so I can imagine Joseph saying, you mean all of the, the magicians and all of those wise people you keep around you in the palace, they couldn't answer you? They couldn't tell you what that meant? Really? But listen, without God, there's nothing so uncommon as common sense. Just look at the decisions people in the world make every day. He says, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing, verse 25. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of uh, grain are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance is coming throughout the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Because the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God. In other words, man, this is for real. God, there's no doubt about it. God's trying to tell you, get ready, and he will soon carry it out. So now Pharaoh looked for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Store the grain under Pharaoh's authority as food in the cities and preserve it. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by famine." So it's as if Joseph said, listen, I've got a common sense interpretation, but God's revealing this to me. And God's also revealing a strategy that's going to save the land. And the proposal, verse 37, pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. So we see God's wisdom in the way that he was proving Joseph to Pharaoh. We also see his wisdom in the way that he was, God made sure that Joseph was promoted by Pharaoh. 
After it, this proposal pleased Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has the Spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and as wise as you. You will be over the house or over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. You're going to be the new prime minister and the commissioner of agriculture all in one. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, saying, basically, all of my authority is now your authority. He clothed him with fine linen garments, placed placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in the second chariot, and the servants called out before him, Abrek. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your permission, no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah, gave him a wife, Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. The way that Joseph was promoted by Pharaoh, and then we see God's wisdom in the way that Joseph was pictured by God. The promotion also gives us a picture of something, and something very beautiful. In the Bible, there is something that we call typology. Now, when you talk about God in the Old Testament, how he was working, we need to see that Christ is as much a part of the Old Testament as he is the New, except the New gives a, a revealing and a filling or fulfilling of all that Christ was coming to do. But in the Old Testament, sometimes we see what is called a Christophany. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate picture of Christ where Christ actually appears like he did in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there was a fourth man that had the appearances of the Son of God Uh, Sometimes it's like when he was wrestling with Jacob as the angel of the Lord. Many scholars believe that is a Christophany. There are times in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate Christ, God the Son, appears in some form and does something powerful. Also, we have in the Old Testament prophecy, messianic prophecies concerning, especially when you get to the prophetic books, the major and the minor prophets. But we see it in the Psalms and other books as well. You go all all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and you see a messianic prophecy. But another way, other than prophecy and other than Christophanies, another way that Christ is pictured in the Old Testament is what we call typology. When there are types, there are pictures of the gospel in the stories of the Old Testament. And we see such a picture in this passage, especially when we see in verse 45 that he is given a bride. Joseph is given a name, this new name, in verse 45, Zephanath-Paneah. We might see that in those days they would have interpreted that as treasury of glorious rest, but Egyptian scholars have interpreted that name as savior of the ages. 
that the Egyptians would have interpreted that name of that day, Savior of the Ages. It was a name that was above all the other names. So here's Joseph, who was left for dead, even though at one time he had been the most favored one, preeminent in standing with his father. He had been taken from that situation. He had been left for dead, but now he's been resurrected from that situation, and he is given a name that is above all other names, and he is given all of the authority of the king. Jesus was left for dead in a tomb. But he rose again and was given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And in Matthew 28, before he gives us the great commission, he says, all authority has been given unto me. And he's going to pass that on to his disciples. Not only Joseph was Joseph given a name, we see that he was given a bride. She was taken from obscurity and placed in a position of royalty. And tradition tells us that she then would have left her gods, the phony gods of Egypt, and she would have embraced the true and living God that Joseph embraced, that her husband embraced. And just like that, God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life because we are the bride of Christ. He is that bridegroom. And so she would leave those pagan gods for the true and the living God. Her significance would also be seen in the names of their two sons. Look down at verse 51. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. The name Manasseh, forgetfulness. And the second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Fruitful in an unfriendly land. Forgetfulness, fruitfulness. What were those names all about? Well, for Joseph it meant, I'm going to forget all of those struggles and all of those hardships. And then fruitfulness, even though this land might be considered a hostile land, I'm going to be fruitful and make a difference in this land because all authority has been given to me. How does that picture us as the church, as, as the children of the bride of Christ? Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind Those things that identified me before I came to Christ. Forgetting those things, my sins, my failures, my worldly successes that mean nothing in the eyes of God. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking toward, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press on to the high call of God in Christ Jesus. My sins have been cast in the sea of forgetfulness and now I've been called to live a fruitful life for Jesus in an unfriendly land. To be a difference maker for the glory of God. You see the beautiful picture. Only in the wisdom of God could we see this beautiful picture in the life of Joseph, Joseph of Christ and his bride, the church. He would redeem us from pagan gods. And their names, listen, what's interesting is when you read the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel today, you don't read Joseph's name, but you see Manasseh and Ephraim as his representations. And in, today, the, in this world today, this world will not see Jesus unless they see him in you and in me. 
And so we have to be those different makers in our world to pass down what Christ has done for us. Yesterday we had a funeral here and I shared a verse that means a lot to a lot of people at times like that. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus was telling and explaining to his disciples that he was about to die. And they were discouraged by that news. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And he says this, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. Though you may think when I die that the dream is dead. You may think when I die that it's all over with, but in three days I will rise again. And not only will I rise again, but after I send you out on mission, one day I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And his promise still stands. And because he is still alive and he is still coming again, our dream is still alive and our dream still stands. I shared another verse at the memorial service for Karen yesterday. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Because Jesus didn't tell us those things, church, he didn't tell us those things, so we just hold on to him until he comes again. Yes, we're to hold on to him, but we're to understand he's holding on to us. And he's holding on to us, and he called us, he chose us, the same passage where he says, I'm holding on to you and, and, and all that the Father places in my hands in John chapter 10. All that the Father has given unto me, I will not lose any of them. That same passage, he says, I've chosen you to bear much fruit. In John 15, he'll come back. I'm the vine, you are the branches. You did not choose me, I chose you, but, but you might bear much fruit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why can we do that? Because we choose the incomparable wisdom of God over the ways of this world. What's your choice today? The ways of the world, the answers this world has to offer, or the wisdom of God? As we were reminded earlier again in song, we have to choose. As Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, <laughs> you're free to choose, but you're not free not to choose. Nor are you free to choose the consequences of your choice. That's in God's hands. But I want to choose Jesus today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you that the incomparable wisdom of God so shines beyond the insufficient ways of this world. Lord, sometimes we don't see it. We don't listen to your voice. We don't read your word. We don't wait patiently on you as you want to renew our strength and lift us up out of a horrible pit. We try to expedite things and, and see things happen in our own time and make choices that we shouldn't make. Father, I've been guilty so many times myself, and I pray that you would give us forgiveness and grace. Restore the joy of our salvation. Renew that right spirit within us today. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.